Well, if you would this morning, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. As I said earlier, this morning we're going to start a new series. We just finished getting through the tough stuff. And I appreciate all the comments that came in as a result of that. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Hopefully it's been a help and encouragement to you. Um, I've been thinking about preaching through the book of Mark for quite some time, and so this morning it's going to be a little bit shorter message, and I kind of humorously say that because every time I think I have a short message, it goes long, but I promise you I won't do that today. But uh, I want to just kind of give an introduction to the book of Mark, and then we'll lay it out to a little bit more detail as we start going through the sections in the weeks ahead here. Before we do this, though, let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to once again be here, to worship you, to sing praises of your name. And Lord, as we just got done singing, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Lord, may we never grow weary. May it never become stagnant in our lives, Lord, the fact that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. And I ask God that you would just help us to remember that, to contemplate that, to meditate on that. Um, Lord, work in our hearts this day as we look at your word, as we just kind of lay a foundation of what's going to be um, taking place in the weeks and months ahead. Lord, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit have free reign. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to hit the book of Mark is because it's such an action-packed book. As you read through the first eight chapters or so, you see so many of the miracles and works of Jesus. And I think sometimes there is a big gap between what we say that we believe God is able to do versus what we believe God is actually going to do. There's not a person in this room probably that wouldn't admit that, hey, if I ask this question, is God able to do all things? Of course we're going to say yes. And we can look to examples throughout the Old Testament and look to examples throughout the New Testament. But yet, when it comes to our own personal walk with walk of faith and trusting God, where's God? I hear it often. I pray, and nothing seems to change. Can I just kind of let you in on a little secret? It's the same God. It's the same God we serve today. It's the same God we read about in the Bible. And I think sometimes we need to hear, we need to be reminded that we serve a powerful, powerful God who can do far more above than we ask or imagine. And so for that purpose, I wanted to go through the book of Mark and really highlight some of the things that Jesus was at work doing. So this morning, what I really want to do is just kind of give you an introduction and then kind of land with the gospel a little bit towards the end. But the first part of the message will definitely be just a bit of information and hopefully you'll find it interesting. But it's purpose. The purpose of the book of Mark is really to share the works and teachings of Jesus Christ. And remember, throughout the whole Old Testament, the bottom line is we were to not only just know the works of Jesus Christ, but also to teach them to our children. As God, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God is one Lord. And they were to take that message and apply it not only to their family, but that family and the head of the family was to teach it to their kids, who would teach it to their kids, who would teach it to their kids. And so that the, the message of who God was would be relayed generation after generation after generation. And sad to say that there are generations who have not carried the mantle well and have not done a good job of sharing who God is. 
So once again, we need to be reminded so that we can be praising our God for what he's doing, looking to Jesus Christ as our example, and then applying it to our lives and teaching it not only to our family, but hopefully instilled in the hearts of our kids and grandkids so that they too will live out, for the glory, live out their lives for the glory of God. So its purpose is to share the works and teachings of Jesus Christ. Its author really is John Mark. He was the son of a widow named Mary, and it's quite possibly her house where uh, the church in Jerusalem met at times in Acts chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. It was, was the meeting place. And I'm sure because it was the meeting place, John Mark heard much. Um, though not one of the original 12 disciples, he did accompany Paul on his first missionary journey. In fact, if you would take your Bibles, I told you to turn to Mark, but turn over to the book of Acts just for a moment. Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, and I want to look at verse 25. Actually, verse 24. It says, But the word of God flourished and multiplied after they had completed their relief mission. Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. So it started out that John Mark, who has authored this book, began to go forward and on the missionary journeys. But something happened somewhere along the line. There's all kinds of speculation. There's all kinds of different uh, theologians that, that kind of surmise what took place. But for whatever reason, John Mark decided not to continue on the journey. In fact, we see this in uh, Acts chapter 13. First of all, in verse 5, it said this. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and they also had John as their assistant. This is referring to John Mark. So John was there. John was on the missionary journey. He was teaching. And then we get down to verse 13. It says, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. And they continued on their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian, Antioch, and, and so forth. But for whatever reason, John Mark did not go on and complete the journey with them. In fact, there was such sharp contention over it that Paul said, I don't really want him anymore. He can do whatever he wants. Um, I, I just don't want him with me anymore. And uh, then we find out later that Mark was the relative of Barnabas in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And you know anything about Barnabas? Barnabas was a what? Encourager. He was called the son of encourager, the son of encouragement. The role that Barnabas played much when he's seen in scripture is that of an encourager and so whatever happened barnabas says well i'll take him later when he wanted to rejoin and continue pick up the mantle and start working again for the lord barnabas says i'll take him and uh, so he did that and whatever happened we know this god was somehow using and and uh, working mightily through john mark and later on uh, paul even came back and somehow must have had a change of heart because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as in verse 11, as Paul was uh, in prison or just coming out of prison, he says, Send, bring to me John Mark, for he is what? Profitable for the ministry. So whether Paul just had a change of heart, whether John Mark grew and matured a little bit, God's word doesn't tell us. But for whatever reason, Paul says, bring him back. He's profitable. So for what he once said, hey, I don't want to deal with it. Now he's saying, bring him back. And here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for a God who gives second chances. Amen? 
I'm thankful for a God that, I, you know, there's all kinds of surmise. Some people say, well, John Mark knew where they were going. They knew it was going to be a difficult road. They knew there would be persecution. That's all supposition. God's word doesn't tell us why he quit. Maybe he was just plain tired. Who knows? Maybe he was afraid of the work. But for whatever reason, he stopped for a period of time, and now he's rejoining the efforts of sharing the gospel. And I'm so thankful that for whatever reason, God is a God of second chances. And he gives people an opportunity to rejoin where they once, once had quit. So it's date and recipient. The Gospel of Mark was written somewhere between 55 and 65 AD to the Christians that were in Rome, which also whereas the Gospel was written. In the setting under Tiberius Caesar, the Roman Empire had developed common language, good communication, and transportation systems. And these made for a great catalyst to spread the gospel. As the communication grew, as the roads increased in quality, the gospel was able to go out freer. Can you imagine, just for a moment, just put your thinking cap on just for a moment, can you imagine if in that day and age that there were technology, media, antennas, satellites, they, did the, they spread the gospel throughout the known world by word of mouth. Now, here's what I want you to think just for a moment. What would change if we implied or implemented that same process today? Rather than relying on the, the few who maybe have the gift of communication, who maybe have the ability to project through various forms of media and get the gospel message out, Rather than depending on those who are really brilliant and have the gift of, what if every one of us did what they did? And they simply went by word of mouth, from house to house, town to town, village to village, simply sharing who Jesus Christ was and what he came to do. Wouldn't that be awesome? So really, the common language, good communication and transportation systems really was nothing more than a catalyst to get the gospel out. The gospel of Mark can really be divided into three main sections. First of all is section one, Jesus' Galilean ministry. And roughly this is the first eight chapters and this is the one I'm really excited about. Actually, I'm excited about all of it. I'm a preacher, right? You know, so I get excited about all of it because in the first eight chapters you see what God is at work doing. He is uh, doing miracles, and he's using Jesus to get his word out. But you see really a picture of Mark, or Mark in Mark's gospel is Jesus as being a servant, and he does that so the gospel can go out. And I think that's so awesome because God's word reminds us that by our love shall all men know that we are his disciples. And love really is the impetus for compassion and serving others. If we don't have compassion and a desire to serve others, we really need to check our love for God. Because love is the impetus for all compassion. So the first eight chapters, roughly, most of the miracles and works are recorded. In section two, it's Jesus in transition. This is roughly chapters eight through ten. And here Jesus transitions his ministry towards Jerusalem. And then as we get into chapters 11 and following, we see the third section, which is Jesus' final week in Jerusalem leading up to his crucifixion. But the whole theme of this is Jesus Christ is servant. In fact, if you would turn back to Mark, 
And let me just for a few moments give you the key verse, I believe, of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Verse 44 says, And whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you see that key idea there is that if you want to be first, you must actually be last. Put others ahead of yourself. It's so contrary to our culture. It's kind of amazing every week at camp. Um, every time I've been to any camp with junior campers, um, the bell rings, the prayers said, and then there's words something along this line. Okay, cabin so-and-so, you can go up and get your food. Walk, walk, and all of a sudden they just like a stampede. Walking went out the window. And everybody is trying to get in front of everybody else. I mean, there's plenty of food to go around. But I want my food before he gets his food. But that's almost like that in every aspect of life. I have to be first. I have to come on first. I have to get my way first. It's our nature to want to get ahead. But he makes it so clear here. Whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. And the word slave literally does mean slave. Am I willing to put myself under the authority of someone else? Willingly. Willfully. And then verse 45, the key verse here. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What a powerful verse that Jesus Christ would leave the splendor of heaven, come down and take on the limitations of the flesh, to live among man, to be tempted in every way, yet without sin. So what? He could serve mankind. If that was one of the greatest factors of Jesus' life, serving others, what should be a characteristic in our life? Serving others. I shared with one of the devotionals last week that really serving others and having compassion on others is rarely convenient. It's rarely convenient. I just know that every time I'm in the midst of doing something, whether it be a project, a something I'm trying to get accomplished, the phone goes nonstop. And somebody needs attention. Somebody needs a little bit of help. Anybody ever felt that way? It's like you're struggling just to get this one thing done, but everyone else wants a piece of your time, a piece of your energy. I shared an example a while back. Up the road here, I kind of started to build a little bit of a relationship with one of the guys who owned a restaurant up the road. And uh, one night I was driving by, it was about 10.30 at night because one of my kids had sprung on us at the last minute, they needed such and such for school the next day, and I'm thinking, all right, I'll run. So I'm on my way to Walmart, and I look over, and he's trying to push his little Honda Civic that won't start. So he's trying to, he's got the door open, and he's running as fast as he can only to hop in and pop the clutch. Anybody ever done that before? All right, you remember those old days. And I'm thinking, I look over, and I'm like, oh, and the Lord just starts, go help him. <laughs> Lord, it's 1030. Go help him. 
I'm tired, man. It's been a long day. Go help him. Okay. <laughs> Pull around. Start pushing. He jumps in, takes off, waves and goes. I just found this as a general rule in life. Reaching others and helping them and being compassionate is rarely ever convenient. But it's right. And especially when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something. The person on the side of the road has a flat tire and they're struggling. Are we willing to stop? Are we willing to take time? Are we willing to be compassionate? Well, I think the criteria for that is just love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by our love. It's the impetus for compassion. And Jesus Christ came not to serve, or be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. So the key people in the book of Mark is, of course, Jesus, the 12 disciples, Pilate, and several Jewish leaders. You're going to see some key people come to prominence through these miracles that he's done. Key towns and villages, Capernaum, Nazareth, Caesarea Philippi, Jericho, Bethany, Mount of Olives, Jerusalem. Of course, the first eight chapters, primarily in Galilee. And then on to Golgotha at the end of the book. You can see some key towns and villages that he's going to discuss. So what happens there? But special qualities of the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark is considered the most chronological of the gospels and concentrates on Jesus as that servant. You're going to see the most chronological order of things happening in his ministry in Galilee. It also records more miracles and events than any other gospel. It's the gospel of action. In Mark, Jesus is shown as being on the move quite often. He's always on the go. You'll see words like immediately he went. He continuously was going and serving others. In comparison, Matthew focuses on Jesus as king. Luke focuses on the humanity of Jesus. And John focuses on Jesus as being God. But Mark, he portrays Jesus as a servant of all. And in doing so, he serves others by performing numerous miracles. And I'm so glad that he does record those for us so that we can benefit from them. As I said, I want to just give a brief introduction, but I want to end on this two points. The gospel and the good news. If Jesus Christ came in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, to give his life a ransom for many, it really ought to be the focus of what we dwell on in our life. The fact that he died to give us life. One of the things we discussed this week one-on-one -on -one with one of the campers is that not everyone is going to heaven. Not everyone will go there. It'd be wonderful to say, you know what, you're going to heaven, and you're going to heaven, and you're going to heaven. Woo, got that settled. We're all good. Let's go. It doesn't work that way. God's word is very clear that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So it highlights the importance of the gospel and why Jesus came. So first of all, if you take your Bibles and turn to uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And you see, just like Jesus was a servant... Paul is trying to be a picture of Jesus Christ here. He says right away in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. 
So he's a servant, but he's a servant for a purpose. And the purpose is that he might portray the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he said, I'm set apart for the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was descendant of David according to the flesh and was anointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who were also called by Jesus Christ. I love that. That Jesus Christ so changed his life that he wanted to be a what servant of Jesus Christ to live out the gospel. And I love what he says down in verse 16. Well, actually, look at verse 13 first. It says, Now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that often I often planned to come to you but was prevented until now in order that I may have a fruitful ministry among you. Just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. What's he saying here? He says, I have a desire to come. And he says, it doesn't matter who it is. You know what I find in real life? Is that there are certain people it's easy to share your faith with. And other people that it's not so easy. It's easy to share someone if they kind of ask you about church and you kind of get on the topic. Then I can kind of talk about it. But what about when church never comes up in the conversation? When God never comes up in the conversation? Or maybe to some of us. Well, they live way down there in the city. It's a different mindset. I don't want to go there. I'm not comfortable there. I'll do it here. <laughs> I think Paul pretty well destroys that idea. Um, yeah. He says, it doesn't matter. He goes, just as I've had among the rest of the Gentiles, I'm obligated both Greeks, barbarians, wise, foolish. He goes, either way. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, even you people. He goes, I can't wait to share. But he goes on here, verse 16. This is an awesome verse. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews and also to the Greeks. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Be honest with yourself this morning. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Once again, this is kind of another one of those proverbial questions. If I say, is there anything God can't do? We're all going to say, what? Nope, God can do anything. But do I believe he's going to work in my life? Are you ashamed of the gospel? The answer is, no, but are you sharing him? Folks, we've got to get over this. And he says very clearly, we're not to be ashamed of it. It's the power of God into salvation. If we've got something that great, why would we not want to share it with others around us? If Jesus has changed our life, if you really do believe he's changed your life, why would we not want to share that with someone? So it's the power of God into salvation. To everyone who believes. And one more passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It 
says, now I want you to make clear for you, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed unto you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he is raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. So why believe that? Has it changed your life? Because it tells us in the book of James that even the devils believe in what? Tremble. They know the truth, but it hasn't reached their heart. It hasn't changed their life. And here's what I found in my life. There have been all kinds of people who claim to know Jesus, but their life hasn't been changed. And when it comes to sharing our faith, you'll never give away what you don't have. You see, I could talk about giving away millions. Man, if I had millions, I could build hospitals in third world countries. I could build them homes and make sure that there's nobody without a home. I could give them vaccinations and help them with certain diseases. I mean, if I had the money, I could do fill in the blank. There's a problem. I'm not a multimillionaire. I know that'll shock some of you, but I'm not a multimillionaire. And I can't give away what I don't have. We'll never give away salvation. We'll never give away the gospel if we don't have it ourselves. You say, well, I have it. Well, the proof of having it is that it's not just undial the safe of our heart, throw it in there, slam the door shut, spin the dial, that's not what Jesus' intention of salvation is. It's a treasure that will never run out. And we have the opportunity. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. Very seriously, Jesus walked about all the towns and villages in the first eight chapters doing miracles, teaching, being a servant to mankind. Why? Verse 45, to give his life a ransom for many. If that was the purpose of Jesus, shouldn't that not be our purpose? To give our life in service to others? To share the gospel that might change their life? I love it. Every time one person comes to know Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's one more soul that's snatched from the pit of hell. One more person who has eternity in heaven with their Savior not just fire insurance if that's why we prayed we're praying for the wrong reason it's a relationship with Jesus Christ and so my question to you this morning is do you have that relationship that Jesus Christ came to give do you know Jesus as your savior have you accepted the gospel close with this you've heard me say this numerous, numerous times over the last several years Knowing Jesus and starting a relationship with him is so simple. In fact, I shared it one night after campfire. I said, uh, what is the first thing that we teach our kids when they're able to talk? What is it? ABCs. And if I were to talk to every parent, did you teach your children the ABCs as soon as they could talk? Of course we did. 
And because of it, you had the smartest kids on the face of the earth. I mean, your kids were special. They got the ABCs down before they ever went to pre-K. I mean, they were smart. You had the smartest kids on the face of the earth. But you know what? Because it's so simple, because it's one of the first things they learn, it's really elementary. But it's no different with the gospel. Jesus Christ made it so simple that we in childlike faith could become a child of God. Simple ABC. A, admit that we're sinners. What does Romans 3.23 tell us? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Coming to Jesus acknowledges that we're sinners. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the sin debt with his shed blood. And letter C is to confess and call. I confess three things. I confess that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. I confess that Jesus did what he said he did in dying on the cross. And number three, I call on him to be my savior. I willingly place my faith and trust in him because there's nothing I can do in and of myself to save myself. And if I can simply understand those three points, admit that I'm a sinner, believe that Christ died on the cross, and confess and call on him to be my savior, put my trust in him, I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the very reason he came to this earth. That's the very reason he performed so many of his miracles. That's the very reason why he taught what he taught. In giving his life, they would trust him. That would be our desire as well. So my question to you that are here this morning is, have you done that? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Not what we can do, but what he has done. Do you know him? Are you sure that you're on your way to heaven one day? Let's pray.